20s are the sweet spot when it comes to adulthood you don't really have that many responsibilities unless you have a kid but even if you do you still should take some time to yourself and enjoy your 20s your family still kind of sees you as a baby and you don't get crippled by hangovers just yet it's a time of self-discovery and really just enjoyment of life and where's the best place to do all those things under one roof nightclubs most 20-year-olds, 20 20-something-year-olds, 20 love nightclubs. We expect to go out and have fun with our friends, drink, dance. I mean, sometimes that doesn't exactly happen as planned. You may spill your overly priced drink. You may get rejected by the cute girl you want to talk to. I've been there more than once. Sometimes you even bump elbows with somebody and get in a little spat. These things all happen, and they're kind of expected to happen. What doesn't, or should I say, shouldn't happen, is being gunned down on your way home at the end of the night. That's what happened to Joshua Delaney, and 15 years later, we're still asking for justice. Hello, my true crime fan, and welcome back to Bruh is a Murder, Season 2. I give you true crime cases of color, dumb crime cases of stupidity, and play music from artists you probably haven't heard about. Today, I'm on the ones and twos, bringing you a cold case that remained open for, I feel as though, far too long. Also, this cold case has not gotten proper media coverage, but hey, that's why I'm here. I gotta hold down for my people, because who the fuck else is? So, I typically do my episodes by pulling pieces of information from various databases and websites to come up with the full story. And now when it comes to cold cases, especially the ones that I do, people of color cases, you don't really get that much information or the information you do get is through a very specific lens. So I did something a little different and reached out to interview a family member. This not only helped shed light and information that wasn't readily available or adequately given on this case, but it humanized Joshua in a way that I try to do, but can't always do. So this episode, I'll give you the information that I gathered, and then we'll speak to Joshua's mother, who is an amazingly resilient black woman and a real champion for her son and other people of color who are victims. It, and again, it, it really opened this case wide open. In a way that I wasn't expecting. So let's get right into it. This week we're covering a case of Joshua Jeremy Delaney. A 22 year old black man from Colorado Springs. He was engaged to be married and was a father of a 4 year old daughter. He is survived by his extremely loving family. Who to this day still fights for his justice. On Wednesday June 15th in 2005 at 12.42am Colorado Springs police were dispatched to a reported shooting in the vicinity of London Lane and Shelton Road. 
Near that location, officers located a white Jeep Cherokee vehicle that had crashed into a wooden fence. In the driver's seats, officers found a victim, Joshua Delaney, who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds and was pronounced dead at the scene. Before the shooting, Mr. Delaney had been at the Platinum 25 nightclub, which has now since closed down. He may have been involved in some sort of altercation, but that is completely speculative and we'll get into that later when we come to the phone call with his mother so right now the whole there's a fight at the club thing is really just hearsay so now at that time the uh, platinum 25 was known to be a gathering spot of a lot of different gang members on the streets in colorado area witnesses reported that before the shooting occurred the victim's jeep had been parked on a nearby london lane alongside a smaller darker colored vehicle it appears that the occupant in the second vehicle may have been involved in the shooting. An extensive investigation, which we'll come to find out, probably wasn't done the best, eventually identified possible suspects in the murder. However, none have yet to been brought to trial for Joshua's murder to this time, and the case is still open and active. So now, since that, there were some updates in the following years. Carlos Ford Vigil was the main suspect and was arrested in the killing. Still, murder charges were dropped after a key witness, his cousin Ricky, first fled the state and then refused to testify and then went off the radar for a little bit. And then in December 2006, Ricky was picked up in Arizona. He was extradited back to Colorado and the murder charges were reinstated against Carlos Ford Vigil. Ricky went to court on January 29th in 2007. He got out on bond and his attempted murder charges in another shooting were to be reinstated. However, he must, for some reason, he had to agree to testify in Joshua's murder case, which I feel like is stupid, especially since he's a key witness who fled to avoid doing this and then also got charged for a different murder. So why are we giving him the option to testify, just make him testify but whatever in april 2007 uh in april 2007 murder charges were presented to judge colt for his review to see if the murder charges would be reinstated against carlos but sadly it didn't go anywhere and the murder charges were still not reinstated so now we here in 2020 are still looking for joshua's justice and now we're going to get into the phone call with his mother and at the end of this call, when I say we're looking for justice for Joshua, it's going to hit different. You're going to feel different about it because you're going to really see a part of Joshua you wouldn't have seen just from me reading what was given to me by the different websites. And that's why I really appreciate his mother for talking with me and giving her time to me. So let's get right into the phone call. It was so nice out today, too. I was sad I couldn't even go outside. Yeah, are you in uh, Jersey? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm in Colorado. It's so, a beautiful day, though. The kids are outside now on the trampoline. Um, out there jumping around and stuff, trying to get burn off some of this energy. <laughs> I hear that. So I just want to thank you again for your time and, uh, you know allowing me to talk to you about this i know it's like not easy and it sucks but i just I really appreciate it no no problem whatsoever and um you know oftentimes people think that 
it hurts to talk about your loved one, but it really it, it helps me in a way that I know that they are still remembered, that he is still remembered. Yeah, so I think we should get right into it. So can you just uh, okay. tell me who your loved one is, the person that you lost? Okay, that would be my son, Joshua Delaney. And, uh, my oldest son. How many kids do you have? I have three. He okay. was the oldest. And uh, how how did this affect your family and yourself? <laughs> that was a big, I call it a life-altering event in my family's life. It pretty much destroyed us. We were a very close family unit. I was a single parent. And uh, even though his dad only lived six 60 miles away in Denver um, they were not real close with their dad he was very unreliable as far as you know making promises and not showing up mm -hmm. but um, my middle son who was four years who was four years younger he was 18 at the time and my daughter um, was 17 and they were just I mean it just devastated the, the entire family yeah um, our, our life stopped and that you know that was kind of like what I was trying to convey to you and you know I, I tried to give you my written answer um, our life just seemed to have stopped in its tracks uh, our family kind of fell apart we all just kind of went through our different grieving processes and um, I mean that carries on you know to this day you know yeah I, I, I've... My, my... go ahead I've been in the same boat uh, when I was younger I lost a family member so, I, went, I was pretty young when it happened, but still, I still remember going through the whole grieving process and then witnessing my family go through it. And it's it's not easy on anybody. No, it is not. Um, he left a four, at the time she had just turned four in May, and he got killed in June. And um, he had, um, had to do a brief, I think it was an 18 month sentence for, um, a firearms um, conviction, and, and actually it wasn't him. He had let someone use a, a car that he had um, had rented, and the guy was going to, I guess, the Popeye's Chicken or something down the street from the apartment they were at, and he ran in, into and killed a, a middle schooler. Jeez. Well, my son wasn't in the car, yeah. But he helped him wipe the car down and then they tried to hide the car. Well, of course, they, they found the guy right away. And of course, he told, you know, said that my son helped him wipe the car down. So that was why my son had to do some federal time. Because um, there, there was a weapon in the car and they, they said it was my son's. I don't know. Um, he was not living with me at the time. He was about, uh, I believe he was 19 when that happened. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he had been released and, and was back home with us and we were trying to actually because I, I had had his daughter the, the entire time he was locked up um, and that's kind of what I was trying to let you know about I you know the police tried to say it was you know they felt it was altercation and that it was uh, between two uh, black men young men and that it was gang related um, I can't really say 
whether it was or it wasn't because I did have some conversations when my son became a teenager about the, the gang stuff that was going on and his words to me were mom do you think I'm stupid he said you've already told me you know the gang life is only going to lead me two ways and that's going to be to prison or death and um I don't know whether he was involved in a gang I think personally it was baby mama drama oh, okay we were trying to get full custody of my granddaughter at the time because I had had her the entire time and her mother as uh, soon as my son got released from prison she wanted her daughter so that way he'd have to go to her house to go and see his daughter and um, her, her family had a pretty bad reputation here in the Colorado Springs area a lot of her cousins and stuff were known gang members and it did time and all this kind of stuff that's why I kind of raised my eyebrows at that because I don't know if my son was involved in a, a gang or not um, I know he had friends who were rival gang members um, uh, I believe uh, GDs is, is what they were called and so that's what they were saying was the argument well they said there was an altercation at the club he had went to that night and he sent his girlfriend home in a different car, and then he was driving um, my car and got shot on the street heading to his home that night after the club closed. That's that's and insane. So it, it was devastating. It was very devastating. Uh, and it was my middle son who was actually coming back from a party that night, happened to see the taped off car because it wasn't too far from where I live at. He was heading home and thought he saw the Jeep. So he kept circling around, he said, because they had it taped off. The Jeep area taped off. And he was riding around to see if that was my car. And um, the police then stopped him because they thought he had something to do with it. And so they brought him to my home at 4 o'clock in the morning to let me know what had happened. And so my son was actually the one that, that saw him first. That's awful. Shot in my, my Jeep four times each one they said was fatal so now being in the area and having to go through this for years i'm pretty sure you have an idea of who committed it oh yes definitely yes i uh co conducted my own investigation mm -hmm. and first <laughs> well like you said well what i've learned anyway is that the first rumors were very true and the rumors were that it was his baby mama's cousin and his friend that um, committed the murder. So I went to his baby mother's uh, home and confronted her and her mother about it. Just so happened, one of the guys who was involved was sitting there. And then I hear this guy, you know, who is your cousin, committed this murder. He was jumped up off the couch. And instead of saying to me or denying it, uh, he's, no, 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 no. He's telling his auntie, no, 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 I didn't do that. I told you they were going to have my name all in this mess. I told you that, auntie. I told you. And so I'm looking at him like, well, why aren't you telling me that, you know? Yeah. And come to find out, he was definitely involved. And the, the, the one uh, who I actually believe pulled the trigger, uh, his name is Carlos Ford. He is currently uh, sentenced to 33 years in prison for two other murders after Josh was killed. So he's definitely a bad actor. I confronted him as well um, at a local 
club that I heard he was out when he got out before. And, you know, he swore up down here, had nothing to do with it, blah, 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 blah. But the police have pretty much assured me they're pretty sure he's the one. But they're saying because the witnesses, you know, they were all like, my son was 22. He was about to be 23 the next week uh, when he was killed. So all of his friends and all were all about the same age. And they're saying, you know, that because some of them had police records and, um, you know, were known gang members and all this kind of stuff is the reason why I don't think they pursued it like they should have. And but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was him that committed the murder. The police say it is, but the DA does not want to pursue it for Josh's murder because he said the witnesses were not reliable. Even though he already got pinged for two other murders, they <laughs> that should be an indicator right there. Yes, exactly. And they were after Josh's murder. That's insane. And first they they stopped it because his his cousin, the boy who I believe killed Josh, Carlos's cousin, uh, was going to be was one of the main witnesses. Okay, he ran away from Colorado Springs because he said he was getting death threats uh, because they thought he was involved as well. They said he was getting death threats. So he ran, and um, first of all, he went to Arizona. So at that point, uh, they did start charges against Carlos. But when um, his cousin, Ricky, ran away to Arizona, they stopped the court proceedings until they caught up with him, which was like a year later. So this, like I said, it, it's it's been going ongoing for some time. But basically what it came down to, the, the one who was supposed to testify, his own cousin, against him got killed in California the next year uh, in the streets of California. And so at that point, the DA, I guess, decided they didn't want to, there's some charges with him uh, against him in my son's murder. But the police say that they're pretty sure that it was Carlos, but it's still considered a cold case because no one has been convicted. And so, like I said, then uh, within those years that he was walking around free, he committed two more murders. And those could have been stopped. They would have just charged him with the first murder. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I mean, it, it's just been a very frustrating road we've been going down. Um, the police assure me that if someone will step forward, because I'm sure you know about the no snitching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if someone would just step forward and, you know, say what they know, then they could convict him. Um, but and until that happens, we're, we're getting nowhere. And the whole no snitching thing, it's, it's so cowardly, honestly. It is. And people don't understand until it happens to you. You know? You hear about it. I, I, I understand the street code. I mean, I'm an older mom. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even have Joshua until I was 29 years old. So I was not no baby having babies. Um... So and, and so he was he was not raised by a young mother. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was almost thirty when I had him. And so um that being said, I did not have, you know, my kids I I tried to keep them busy with, you know, athletics, T ball, football, you know, whatever they were interested in, I tried to keep them busy, you know, rather than just running the streets. And like I said, but they soon pick up on that no snitching because they're peers. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's just, it's, 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 it's just very sad to me. 
Yeah, it's a sad part of like the street culture. I grew up in Philadelphia. I know all about it. Thankfully, my parents took me to the suburbs as soon as they could. Cause, uh-huh. cause, oh, good deal. Good yeah. Deal, you know? So, uh, what are your feelings towards the killers? Um, at first, it was, I guess, disbelief. How dare they? Who would dare? Who would, you know, take his life like that? And for what? Very, very much a lot of anger. Hold on one second. What? Go ahead. Hurry up, you're almost on the phone. It's okay. Who she's developmentally disabled, telling the kids that she's gonna send me and their me and their dad, my middle son, to jail, and that she wishes we would go back to the cotton field. Oh, jeez. Yeah. My word. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, this little girl. And I'm like, I said, well, the, I believe the parents are somewhat just developmentally disabled as well. So I'm just trying to you know, keep things calm. Bear with them, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay, you were asking me my my. You feel yeah. Um, as I said, I I went through. There they said there's like seven stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And first, I think you're in shock, and then I think comes the anger, and then comes um. You you kind of resolve yourself to the situation. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, the, the part that I'm in now. Um, I don't, I try to be forgiving. I, I sometimes question my, myself on that. You know, do I truly forgive him? I feel like he is a lost, um, I call that kind of like a lost son as well. Because, you know, for someone to do that and then not only commit one murder, but two other subsequent murders. You know his 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 soul is gone. Yeah. You know? Um. He has no soul. He has no morals. He has no human life value. And for that, I feel sorry for him. And I still would like to see him be prosecuted, though, for my son's murder if he's guilty. I believe he should he should be charged and and face you know his consequences for that murder as well. Yeah, because your son still needs justice, official justice. That's right. So, for you, what was the most frustrating part of this whole ordeal? Um, evidence was lost early on, and they never—I never did find out what evidence was lost. I believe that may have played a big part. I don't feel like the investigation was conducted correctly because my son had, um, at that time, they were big on. like voicemail messages he had several messages where his baby mama was threatening his life oh wow um, yeah and and because of, i guess of the verbiage that she used uh excuse my language nigga we gonna murk you 
you know, I'm 66 years old. I know what that means. Yeah. But they're saying it was so much ghetto language they couldn't understand. So they they let the messages get deleted. Ghetto language? (laughs) That's a clear threat. Seriously, that's what the police told me. Yes, Bubba, go ahead. Yes, that is exactly what they told me. I'm like, are you serious? And you're 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 out here in the streets with these young people, arresting them, and you you don't know what that means. That's just lingo right there, slang. <laughs> you know, I said I'm not a teenager either. I said, but that's pretty clear to me. You know. And, uh, but yeah, they let the. I felt like they let the uh, messages get deleted. I even called. Um, he had T-Mobile service at the time. I called T-Mobile the IT department to see if I could get those um, put back on his, his um, phone and because it had been more than a month they couldn't do it they were unable to do so and so um, I think you know I just felt like the investigation was not done correctly I think things could have been done a lot better um, they kind of waved off what I was saying. I don't know whether they didn't believe me when I said that I felt like his baby mom had something to do with it. No, I don't believe she pulled the trigger, but I believe it was her cousin and and his friend that did. Yeah, she's in the know, probably. Yes, exactly. And so that caused a lot of hardship. I mean, after that, I had to focus. You know, I still had a 17 and 18-year-old to deal with. I I still had my four-year-old granddaughter. Uh, she ended up letting her come back over here and stay with me. And she is now uh, 18, living on her own. She's graduated high school, getting ready to go to college. Uh, she's doing really good. That's um, good. And, and that's kind of my motivation now. But my frustrating part with the justice system was I, I just don't think it was handled correctly. I believe if he were of a different color, that it would have been handled and handled much more quickly. We see it time and time again. Like <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Like half of, most of the cases I cover, I do I do black people because we don't get covered the same way as they do white victims, and it's insane. That's right. That's right. You know, I know uh, other because of the support groups that I had had uh, subsequently joined. Um, their cases got um, what is it? The offering, you know, the rewards and all that offered. Yeah. I don't think they ever offered any reward in in my son's case. You know, for witnesses to come forward. You know, it was things like that. So, I mean, I'm sure we as, we as black people have experienced it across the country. But, you know, that was firsthand for me. I was like, oh, wow. Um, I see it. So that, that leads into my next question. You talked about the support groups. Uh, what was the most helpful thing to you when going through this? Yeah. And I found one of the first groups I found was a group called um, 
mothers of murdered sons and daughters. And in reaching out to them, and like pretty much I talked to them daily for months, well actually probably years at a time, and listening to some of the horrific stories, I mean, one lady who I still stay in touch with to this day lost her her mother, her father, her son, and her son's wife and girlfriend all in one setting. My. And I thought to myself, I thought I had it bad just losing a son. But she lost this guy, came in, killed her mother, her father, her son, and his son's girlfriend. And she was a white woman, but the girlfriend of the son was black. Mm-hmm. And the guy who killed him was black. He had a mental issue. He was like stuck on, fixated on this girl. And anyway, he went into the house and killed everybody. Oh, that's so gut wrenching. In, in, in hearing stories like that, I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I, 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 I'm thinking, how am I even saying? I, I really didn't think I was saying for quite a while. Um, but. You know, to hear her, you know, have to have survived that some kind of way, it helped me feel a little bit better that I, I wasn't, maybe things could have been worse, you know, because I didn't think they could have been. So when I heard her story, it did. It felt cathartic in a way. Yes, exactly. Uh, and lastly, I just want to ask you, uh, what was the fondest memory of your son? I know you probably have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one of my favorite, fondest memories is um, the first time when he got released from uh, federal prison. Um, he We had Thanksgiving that year, and every year um, my mother would fix a big, huge um, Thanksgiving dinner for everybody. And as part of that, like she always had the traditional turkey, um, you know, and the, whatever the trimmings were with that, she made desserts. But one of her favorite things to do was to make homemade rolls, homemade uh, yeast rolls. And my son loved her rolls. <laughs> this last time he got out, and we were like my sister, I have one sister and one brother, and uh, so... They were all there for Thanksgiving, you know, all those cousins and all, like, we were all there at my mom's house. And so, um, we had sat down to the dinner table, and she was taking the rolls out of the oven. She puts them in, a, like, a little wicker basket and covers them with a napkin, a cloth napkin, and brings them to the table. So then we can all grab our rolls, you know, and butter them right there at the table. Well, she set them down in front of Josh. And he grabbed them, put his arms around them, like hugging them on the table, and pretended to lick the entire package. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, then he started buttering them and eating them. And so one of the my sister's boys started grabbing some out of the basket. Said, I don't care if you lick them or not. He said, you're not going to get all of them. Another batch in the oven. <laughs> we didn't all have to eat the licked <laughs> rolls by God. But he was more than happy to lick that whole bowl. I mean, and eat all those rolls by himself. And but that was one of the funniest times. Um, he and when he would get tickled, uh, I don't know if if you saw on the Project Cold Case any pictures of him or not. But he had beautiful chocolate 
dark skin, curvy white teeth. And when he smiled really big, his eyes would just disappear. They sing it to his face. Yeah, I mean, they would just disappear. They would crinkle up. Kind of like they were slanted. They were, <laughs> he kind of had like almond shaped eyes. And they were slanted. And when he would smile big, you know, his eyes would just disappear. It was like they were closed. And um, I just crack up. I was like, where your eyes go, son? Um, <laughs> you know, and so those were some of my, one of my funniest memories. I would say one other one was, he was always in school. He was in gifted and talented. And um, he started reading at the age of four on his own. He was going to a, a school who taught him the phonetic alphabet. And he just started reading at age four. So needless to say, he was always in gifted and talented classes. And, um, one day we were over at my sister's house when I lived in Denver and him and my nephew who they're like 18 months apart were downstairs playing well my nephew came upstairs and me and my sister were sitting in the dining room talking and my nephew came upstairs and he was upset he said he said um well he was telling his mom he said Joshua said that I'm impotent and so <laughs> I'm, there, I'm like Joshua said what now they were probably about nine maybe 10. Uh, he said, and he starts crying. He said, Joshua said, I'm impotent. He said, I don't know what that means, but it don't sound good. So I said, probably he was saying you were important. He said, no. So Joshua came upstairs and Joshua was standing there with the, and put his hands on his hips. He said, no, I didn't say he was important. He said, I said he was impotent. I said, you even know what impotent means? He said, you know what it means, mommy. He said, I don't have to tell you. I said, oh, oh gee. <laughs> Too smart for his own good, right there. <laughs> yeah, impotent. Like, oh, you don't even know what that means. <laughs> and he wouldn't tell me though. I was like, but he knew. He used to read a lot. But yeah, those were some of my good fond memories of my baby. <laughs> Again, I just want to thank you so much for taking your time out your day to do this. And it's a lot of people go through this, so it'll help. Really, just hearing that. You know, there's groups out there. Like you said, the group was called Mothers of uh, Murder Sons and Daughters. Yes. Uh huh. All right. I'm gonna make sure. Of, I'm gonna make sure to put that in the show notes because people need to hear these stories and hear like because mm-hmm. we don't get reported right. And I hate how we always get portrayed as like thugs or you know, it's right. it's sad. So. But we have no value, you know, that we don't have um, loved ones and people they, who love. Us. Yeah, or like we don't have these good memories or these personalities behind us that's right so i, just, I, I did want to ask you, you you're going to do a blog on this is that what you said yes yeah, so it's a, a a podcast like a radio show i'll send you all the information uh when i put it out i'll put it out this sunday and it's oh, actually okay. yeah it is actually getting picked up for a, a tv spot because i've been wow, okay. i've been pushing hard to Cause you know, especially on TV, we don't get we don't get the representation. So I've been pushing hard for it, and it's getting some traction. Cause I just want to get our stories out there properly. Uh huh. Oh, I certainly appreciate that. Yes, and I, um, in fact, I had actually put on my Facebook page, um, you know, that you had contacted me, and it was funny because the same day, uh, Project Cold Case called me and they asked if I wanted to update his uh, web page that they have. And so I haven't worked on that yet, but um, a good friend of mine who I used to call their other mother, 
she lives in Atlanta, and so she called me. She said, well, when is the podcast going to be? I said, well, I don't know. I said, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the information right when it comes out this Sunday. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Andre. Uh, I'm, I'm glad, you know, that you're, you know, trying to help keep this case alive. I appreciate that, you know, and I wish you all the best in all these um, crazy times right now. And, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, you're doing a good thing and I appreciate it. I really do. Have a good day and stay safe out there <laughs> with this okay, virus. The All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. And I'm, I'm glad that we ended that call on a great note. Again, she was an amazing woman. And I really just want to drive home the fact that we not only want but need justice for Joshua. We need justice for Joshua. So <laughs> that was heavy. So as a pile cleanser, as we normally do episode, I'll get into my dumb, weird crime of the week. And then the music. Florida woman, of course, admits to having sex outside hospital, exposing public to sexual organs. And I feel like this woman's name really fits her crime. Anne-Marie Tucker, the woman is charged with uh, an alleged tryst, has pled guilty to two charges. Heard her man got caught with her pants down, literally, outside of a St. Petersburg hospital and are now facing charges of exposure of sexual organs. Hey, hi, this is a uh, future editing Andre. So, full transparency, I made two jokes that are about to come up that are super cringy because when I wrote out the script and wrote those two jokes in, I thought they were funny. I thought they were funny because I was quite drunk writing the script. And now looking back over the editing, I realized that they weren't funny and they were very cringy. So here are the jokes. Anne-Marie Tucker, 45, staying alive. And Albert Singletary, 37, slice of heaven. So there it was. I'm not happy with it. You're not happy with it. My cat's not happy with it. I apologize. We can move past it. I'll get better. That was a question mark was arrested with misdemeanor of trespassing and exposing sexual organs. Both were arrested on March 2nd, according to an affidavit obtained by Oxygen.com, which I pulled this article from. The arrest was located on the property in close proximity to a no trespassing sign, and upon being located, was found to be exposing their flaps and kibble bits in plain view of the public while participating in sexual intercourse. Now, the affidavit said that Tucker's vagina was completely out and Singleton's balls, penis, and ass were also fully exposed to everyone to see in public. Investigators believe that Singleton was drunk and under the influence of alcohol, but Tucker seemed to be completely sober throughout the whole ordeal. She also pled guilty to all her charges and was sentenced to time served. Uh, Singleton was held but got bonded out for $300 and is currently awaiting trial. Tucker has a number of misdemeanors under her belt, from prostitution to cocaine possession. She's got a rap sheet. And my main issue about all this is that we are not social distancing. Social distancing. This is a pandemic. If the dong ain't six feet long, you're too close, sis. And on that note, (laughs) uh, I want to say thank you for listening and being here with me. Stay safe. Stay clean. Don't have sex in public. Uh, 
make sure you hit up our social medias bros of murder on facebook on instagram murder bro on twitter um and yeah that's all i got for you right now and i'm gonna send you on your way with and i'm gonna send you on your way with a little song called la promise Que nunca